In the last session, we began to set the scene for an understanding of the miracle at Cana. But not only the miracle at Cana, what we've begun to learn is going to help us as we go through the whole Gospel of John, who is, as everybody called him since the earliest days of the tradition, the theologian. And he does this with such masterful work, alluding and, and spelling out and establishing a relationship so that we see Cana in the light of the new law and the, and the law now being announced as new in new beautiful wine. That's why the last line of this, when we get there, the steward says to Jesus, uh, to the, to the uh, groom, everybody saves the good, you know, serves the good wine first. You have set the good wine, saved the good wine until now. What's the now? It's the now of the time of Jesus. And the good wine? The Holy Spirit. The life of faith. Being saved by his blood. That's the good wine. It's the gospel. As Augustine says it very pithily. So what I'm going to do now is read to you the text from the book of Exodus, chapter 19. I'm going to read sections because it's a bit long, but I'm going to point out the sections that we need uh, in order to understand the reworking of it in a popular translation which embodies this tradition I'm talking about. So we'll see. So... <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> On the third new moon, after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. And then God begins to address them, tells Moses, Go tell them, I want to give them a law. All the people answered when Moses presented that, and now I'm quoting, Everything the Lord has said we will do. Remember that. What does Mary tell those servants? Whatever he tells you, do it. Everything the Lord has said we will do. Then Moses goes back to the Lord and says, They agree. So the Lord then says, Be ready on the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai and uh, uh, in the eyes of all the people. So then when they go through the next days and so forth, don't uh, uh, come near the mountain and all that. Don't have relations with your wife. And then, on the morning of the third day, we're now at the day of Revelation, the third day, there were peals of thunder and lightning and a heavy cloud over the mountain and a very loud voice so that all the people in the camp trembled. Now, you may remember when I spoke about the fire of Sinai. You see, this is the fire of Sinai. This is the revelation of Sinai, which is picked up and embodied in the sacred heart of Jesus Christ. That's the fire of Sinai. That's the source of all revelation and always was. Now, uh, in our Lord's day, but starting a little before, uh, the people didn't know Hebrew. So in the synagogue, the sacred text was read out in Hebrew and then repeated in Aramaic so that the people could understand it. Some of you, if you're old enough, may remember when, before the Vatican II, we read the Gospel in Latin and then we read it in English. It's the same sort of thing, except that these translators had a lot more freedom than we did, you know. Uh, and what they're getting ready for is to embody this tradition and preach on it. Okay, so now you've just heard Exodus 19. Uh, 
I think this is exciting. So try to pay attention. What you call this, the, the, the Hebrew word for translation is Targum. So the Targum is the Aramaic translation of the Old Testament. Now listen, it's free. It's not our idea of translation, you know, word for word, very clearly. It's an embellished vehicle for tradition. So you understand the tradition of how this text was understood at this time. In the third month after the departure of Israel and from the land of Egypt, that very day of the first of the month, just as we just heard from the Hebrew text in, in Exodus, okay? Now, on the second day, Moses went up to the top of the mountain. And uh, that same day as he came down from the mountain with the Lord's offer, if you will keep my covenant, you will be my people. You will be my special people. Segula. Segula is a little something not worth much, but worth a lot to the owner. So you'll be my segula. You're not worth much, but you're worth a lot to me. That's what he's promising, okay? That same day, Moses came down, and, uh, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So this is a translation, but you see, now on the third day, the Lord said, behold, I will reveal myself to you in the thickness of the cloud of glory. That last word is not in our text. Kavod, but it's important. As you'll see in them, I'll, I'll, I'll cheat. In the last line of this incident, John says, and he revealed his glory. So you see. Then Moses related, on the fourth day, that this is where you realize how third day preempts everything they've said. On the fourth day, the Lord said to Moses, get, get the people ready. Let them be ready for the third day. So the third day is calculated different than this other. That's not too complicated. I think you get it. Third day is important. For on the third day, the Lord will reveal himself. This is this traditional translation understanding of the book of Exodus. This is what the people heard because most of them didn't understand Hebrew. Okay? And um, then that goes on. That same day, the third day, Moses came down. On the third day of the sixth month, in the morning time, there were claps of thunder and lightning and a thick cloud enveloping the mountain and all those cosmic manifestations. Now, do you see then that as we go through, if you can remember way back when we were doing uh, the last part of chapter 1, uh, the down and ended with, you know, and there we spoke of this notion. And then on the, on the next day, the next day, the next day, the next day, these are the next days here, which is a gradual revelation of who the Messiah is. Philip goes to tell Peter, you know, and finally um, um, the lovely man comes and says, uh, you know, you're the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. Because I saw you under the fig tree, you say that, okay? So, it's under that background, on the next day, the next day, the next day, which progressive revelation in John's Gospel. And then, out of nowhere, on the third day, but people, and they'd all be familiar, because this is one of the three pilgrim feasts that everybody has to go to. So they all know this. On the third day, there was a wedding feast at Cana. 
Now, once our mind is thinking like this, we could also realize huh, that uh, the notion of new wine and marriage, they're also linked. Uh, there's a text uh, where it says, um, there it is, commenting on Exodus 19.17, which is the text we just read. Moses led the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stationed themselves at the foot of the mountain. Okay. Commenting on that text, Rabbi Ishmael said, the second century, the Lord came from Sinai to receive Israel as a bridegroom comes forth to meet the bride. So this was a proposal of marriage covenant. You see? How all these things... See, if we knew the tradition, if we were Jewish people reading John's Gospel, all these bells would ring. And then it would be up to the preachers speaking to the Greek speakers to explain how John is seeing this event. This very, in a way, simple event. There's a wedding. Nine miles north of Nazareth. Mary was invited. And even as St. Thomas says, Jesus was probably invited because they knew Mary. And uh, he comes with his disciples. And they run out of wine. And then Mary goes to Jesus and tells him. And then, you see, and this is all happening on the third day, which is therefore uh, an allusion to the giving of the law. There are other places where this giving of the law is also exploited. For instance, Pentecost. Because there's a tradition, you see, that um, in Pentecost, there were 70 languages at Sinai, just as there is at the giving of the law. There were 70. Now, it's just like Pentecost. All these languages, you see. All the world is hearing this, okay? So, uh, we go on, you see. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. It's already, it's about nine miles north of Cana. The first thing he says is that the mother of Jesus is there. Then he says, and Jesus, and Jesus was invited, and his disciples. And so St. Thomas, among others, said, probably they knew he was getting to be a popular preacher and an important man, but they really knew Mary. She was a friend of the family. So they invited Jesus. Now St. Thomas also points out Sometimes this is hard for us to see, but I'm going to tell you anyway. In the tradition, summed up by Thomas Aquinas, in fact, I think I might even have the quote here. Uh, he said, in the mystical understanding of this text, um, well, I hope I can find it quickly, uh, uh, where, anyway, the point is this. Mary is the conciliatrix. Mary is the matchmaker in every spiritual marriage between the Word and the soul. She's always there at that key moment. And so at this moment of this wedding, when the new law is going to be instituted and this new bridegroom relationship, which Jesus speaks about very often, right? Can the people fast when the bridegroom's there? He can, and, and John says... <coughs> I'm the friend of the bridegroom. It's enough for me to hear his voice. Jesus is the bridegroom of the people, the new people and all those who want to join him. You see? And so uh, Thomas says, but this is a process that goes on 
in every human life who is open to it. If we follow the Holy Spirit and let Him work with us, purify us, there will be a moment when our spirit will be wedded to Jesus Christ, the Word of God. And at that moment, Mary is always there. That's Aquinas' point. If you understand this at that deep level, in every mystical marriage, Mary is there, facilitating, helping, bringing it about, strengthening, whatever. I'm telling you these things because for several, almost a whole century now, we've been very historically bound and don't realize how the saints and mystics and the authors of these texts understood them. So, and the mother of Jesus was there. And as Aquinas says, you see, that's uh, because she's present at every uh, marriage between this Jesus, the, the Word, and the soul. Isn't that exciting? So there's more going on here. <coughs> Remember my Smith and Jones uh, example. Or if we were at the cross and I pointed to Jesus and I said, there is the salvation of the world. I'd be right, but nobody would know why unless they penetrated in the power of the Holy Spirit to the interior of the event. So now what we're going to do in our next two sessions is read the text closely, aware of all this, I hope, background that will help you. Um, I think it's important because it's a lovely lesson on how to enter into the admirable profundity, as the fathers call it, of this Bible we've got, this Word of God. Amen.